It's been a wild ride these last few weeks. Have you noticed that? All the red letters were pointed at us, and Jesus said, people are going to hate you for following me. People are going to try to kill you for following me. So be careful. So be careful. And, and this morning, the, uh, the bullseye, the target, moves from us, and now it's on John the Baptist. So at least we get to take a little breath for a while and hear about how he was suffering for following Christ. We're going to read this morning Matthew 11, 1 through 19 together. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the, in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, those who is, or whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drink, nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, this morning we pray that you would illuminate the words of life to us, to our hearts, to our lives. And more than anything, you would help us to see you in this story, your gospel in this account, and secondly, that we would see ourselves in it. So often we've struggled, like John the Baptist, wondering, got it? Is this real? Are you really the one? Because this world seems hard and difficult. Let us hear Jesus' words and trust him in faith that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one gets the Father except through him. 
And we pray that you would give us the perspective to face the hardships and the sufferings and the insults of life with this perspective that comes from your scriptures, that come from your heart and from your mouth. Let our perspective be founded in you and not in our own thoughts or worldview or anything else. Let us trust you and you alone for not just our salvation, but for everything, for the way that we view the world around us and the circumstances in which we dwell when they're good and when they're bad. Let us trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those are the first words that John the Baptist said to his disciples when Jesus walked up. He turns to the folks that he had been preparing to meet the Messiah and said, that man that's walking towards us, he is the one that I told you about. I baptize with water, but one is coming who is greater than me, whose shoes I am not fit to untie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And sure enough, John the Baptist began to decrease and decrease and decrease. And by the time we stand in Matthew 11, John the Baptist has found himself in a prison cell because of his faith. Jesus, the Messiah, is walking the earth, and John, who thought that his job was to usher in this kingdom and introduce folks to Jesus and have the whole world turn upside down, John had his world turned upside down in the bad way. And now he's suffering and struggling and, and now fighting with, is Jesus really who I thought he was? As I said, he was the Messiah, and I said he was here to bring in his kingdom. I said that he was here to turn the world the right side up, and, and now I'm suffering, I'm struggling, I'm about to face death for my faith. This did not seem to be what would happen when the Messiah came. I thought he would bring jubilation and rejoicing, not prison, not death. John the Baptist has gone through a, a little arc here that so many of us have gone through as well. We start out, we hear about Jesus, and we're fired up, right? Jesus is going to change our lives for the better, and then all of a sudden now it's gotten worse. Our lives have gone into the pit. And for a while things were good, but now it's just unraveling. And some of you have come to Christ recently, and you said, okay, now that I follow Jesus, things are going to come together. But after you started following Jesus, things fell apart, and people hate you. Sickness came into your family and you find yourself like John the Baptist, almost in a prison cell, saying, God, did I miss the bus or something? I thought you were going to come and give me life and life to the full, but I feel like I'm languishing here in the dark. Are you really who you said you are? Are you really the God who makes all things new? Are you really the one who breaks every chain because these chains that I assumed would be broken just keep binding me again and again and again? From his prison cell, John the Baptist sends a few of his disciples to pose the question to Jesus that was on his mind. In verse 3, we see the question. Are you the one to come? 
or should we expect someone else? And Jesus, did I get it wrong when I told the world that you were the Messiah? Are you that one? Or is there another guy coming? If you've ever felt like John the Baptist felt, you know that that's a question that just comes bubbling out of your heart. God, I've been trusting you, but did I get it wrong? You kind of start looking back at your life in the past and say, okay, there was a time in my life where everything made sense spiritually and God seemed so real. Did I make that up? Was I like under the influence of some spiritual hypnotism or something? Because now today I feel like this isn't real at all, God. And, but I remember that time. I remember when it was good, but how do you explain this? Jesus comes back to this question about if he's the Messiah, and he says, go back and report to John the Baptist what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, if you're asking if I'm the Messiah... Yes, I am. Imagine you were part of a, a company that was kind of starting to go downhill, and so the rumors got around that they were going to kick out the CEO and bring in a new one. And this new president was going to take the company from the place where it's kind of falling apart to the place where it's going to be up and to the right. And so you get excited about this new person coming in because your department's falling apart, your job is falling apart, you haven't seen commissions lately, you haven't closed deals lately, and so you're awaiting with excitement, this new person who is to come, and when she gets there, he's like, I'm going to give her some time, and she's going to turn this company around, right? And I'm going to close a deal or two, and my team's going to get together, and we're going to start working well together again, and, and it's not happening at first. You're like, oh, give her time, give her time, give her time. You wait a quarter, still going down to the pit. You wait another quarter, still going down to the pit. You wait another quarter, and you're thinking, when are things going to change? Because I thought this person was going to come in and, and turn this company right side up, but I haven't made any money in a long, long time, and my team is fighting, and it's worse than it was before she got here. And so you finally get the guts to go into her office and say, are you really <laughs> the person who is going to turn this company around, or, or should we get someone else? And there's a number of things that the CEO could say to you in that moment. Uh, probably the first one is, you were fired, right? So this is not a what-to-do illustration. She could say, I know, I know, I know. I had big promises. Nothing's happening. I, I don't know what to do. I'm over my head here. She could say that. And she could say, hold on. you got to give me more time. It's only been nine months. I need at least a couple years. This is a big ship. It takes a long time to turn. Give me more time. Right? She, she can say, oh, no, I don't know. I, I, I need to get more people and hire more people. I, I need some more whatever, give me more money, give me more strategy. She could say you're fired. She could say a lot of things. But imagine she comes back to you and says, stocks are up. Our market share is growing. Our brand is stronger than it's ever been before. If you're going to quit, don't quit on account of me. In other words, the company's doing great. Your part just stinks. Right? It's kind of what Jesus says to John the Baptist. He says, hey, go tell John the Baptist, disciples of John the Baptist, what you see and hear. Go tell him, John, we see that dead people are rising. 
Go tell John, hey, we see that blind people are receiving sight. Go tell John, hey, we heard that a deaf guy can hear now. Go tell John that this guy had leprosy and now it's gone. Go tell John, we saw and heard these things that you did not see and hear because you've been in prison. The kingdom of God is coming. It just sucks for you. If we were honest... That's generally how we feel when our spiritual lives are falling apart, isn't it? All right, it's rare that we say maybe the whole thing's a sham. What's more likely is that we're experiencing this darkness and we look around and everyone's doing great but us. And God, my spiritual life is falling in the toilet and all my friends seem to love you. Everyone's lives are going up and to the right and mine is going down into the pit. God, I feel like I'm the only one that's struggling here and no one else is, God. I'm not questioning if you're real. It's just, why me? Do you have something against me? God, if I sinned, I did something wrong, and now all this struggle is coming into my life, why is it that everyone around me seems to have this vibrant walk with you, and I just can't even get my shoes on spiritually? I'm just stuck. I can't get traction anywhere. As you read through this passage, you almost hear the the audience, the crowd that's around, moving from looking at Jesus expectantly like, oh, how are you going to answer this question from John the Baptist? And now they're looking at John the Baptist, oh, he's in prison. Yeah, we're doing great out here. What's wrong with John the Baptist? Sometimes when God doesn't meet your expectations, it's easy at first to just Blame him. Say, God, you're not real. And then the more you think about it, then you start blaming you. God, why me? Jesus quickly curbs this John the Baptist hate fest that's about to start bubbling up. And he turns to the audience and says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you start lumping insults on John the Baptist for being in prison while we're all out getting healed out here, Let me ask you some questions about your relationship to John the Baptist. Because you guys were here when he came up. He lived out in the desert, right? He ate the locusts and the wild honey. He wore the camel hair. And he came out and started preaching and baptizing. And people came to him in droves, right? You came to him in droves when he came out, right? Let me ask you this. Why did you go out in the desert? What did you go out there to see? Were you just looking to see a reed swaying in the wind? No. Did you go out to the desert because you were hoping to find this politician that was dressed in beautiful royalty clothes? No. Why did you go out in the desert? Who did you expect to see living in the desert? A prophet? Yeah. And more than a prophet. I'll tell you the truth that John the Baptist is the one that was written about in the scriptures that would prepare the way for the Messiah. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. (laughs) Don't keep insults on John the Baptist. He's the man. He's a prophet. The scripture said he would be sent from God the same way the scripture said I would be sent from God. He has done nothing wrong. He just happens to be in prison, and he's about to be killed for his faith, beheaded. And Jesus tells us the why. 
the reason that suffering happens. It's not because God is not real. It's not because John the Baptist sinned. He said, let me tell you why John the Baptist is suffering. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law have prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. He says, let me tell you why John the Baptist is suffering. It's not because I'm not the Messiah. It's not because he did something wrong. The scriptures say that I'm the Messiah. The scriptures say that he is who he says he is. And the scriptures also say that when the kingdom of God comes, violence will come with it. He's suffering because that's what happens when you follow me. And you remember the last chapter? If you want to have a fun time, you can read chapter 10 again this week as you go home. Jesus says, I'm sending you out about sh- like sheep among wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. All men are going to want to kill you because of me. And that's what happened to John the Baptist. He followed me to death. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Because if you're going to follow me, you need to realize that I am going to be crucified. So that's the road you're going to walk on as well. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, it's not because Jesus isn't real. It's not necessarily because you've sinned. It's because suffering is a part of Christian life. When we follow Jesus, we follow him into suffering. So when life starts to fall apart, it's important that we understand that our expectations need to come from the scriptures and and not from what we thought would happen when we gave our lives to him. Jesus has one set of harsh words in this passage, and it's not for himself, obviously, and it's not for John the Baptist. It's for this crowd who it just wants to judge somebody. They want to judge Jesus. They want to judge John. And, and, and he turns to them and says, okay, how, how, do I under, how do I explain this generation? This generation of people who just want to hate everybody. He says, this is what you're like. This is what you're like. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the generation in Jesus' days. This is what this generation is like. You're like kids who are hanging out in the marketplace while your parents are shopping. And, and you're bored. And so you're inventing these little games. And And you're sitting there and you're playing this fun song on the flute and your other friends are kind of just milling about and you put down your flute and you start yelling at them, I'm playing a fun song, why aren't you dancing? And they just kind of look at you. And you pick your flute up again, you play this like funeral march or something. I don't remember how to play the flute, maybe it's like this. You play this funeral march or something and and your friends are kind of ignoring you, yell at him, why aren't you mourning? We're playing the funeral game now. What's wrong with you people? He says, "You, you crowd, you're like armchair quarterbacks or something, right? You... You have all these expectations of what's going to happen, and you think that somehow you have control over what happens in this world. Let me give you an example of what happened. John the Baptist comes, and he has been sent by God to be the the prophet Elijah in the flesh again, to come and bring in the Messiah. And he came, and he lived in the desert, and he lived a spiritual, spiritual life. He fasted all the time. All he ate was locusts and honey that he stole out of beehives, hives, right? He wore camel's hair. He didn't have fine clothes. He didn't eat well. He didn't drink wine. He was living this aesthetic life out in the desert, completely devoted to the Lord. And he came, and you saw him live that way, and you said, this guy's demon-possessed. Why would you live like that? 
And then I come, Jesus says. And I came and I drank wine and I ate food and I hung out with tax collectors and sinners. I lived the opposite kind of life for the Lord that John the Baptist said. And you'd expect him to say, now this is how you're supposed to live. But you looked at me and you said, this guy's a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. What can you do to make you happy? Nothing. Before we just blame this generation, I think every generation is like that, isn't it? It's the Facebook thing, right? East Bay Mud hikes the prices. What are we going to do? Complain, right? We're doing our best to save water, to conserve. And you're jacking the prices on us? What if they lowered the prices? What would we do? We'd complain. We'd say, are you serious? We're in this big route and you're lowering the prices and trying to get people to use their water? What if they kept the prices the same? What would we do? complain, right? We'd say, are you serious? We're in the massive drought, the biggest drought we've ever experienced, and you're doing nothing to prevent water usage? We just like to complain, don't we? Some of you are like, no, 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 if they lowered the prices, I wouldn't complain. (laughs) That might be a bad example. Some people would complain. No matter what happens, we hate it, especially when it comes to the world of what God is doing in the spiritual life. John the Baptist comes and he lives this denying himself lifestyle and everybody made fun of him. They hated him. Jesus came and he engaged with the world. They hated him. They made fun of him. If you start reading through the book of Matthew some more, you read through the other gospels, you read about the the passages Jesus would share about what they did to the prophets, Jesus tells the generation after generation, every time God sent someone to them, they killed him. Remember that story about the vineyard where God had a vineyard and he set up his people to run the vineyard and they kept stealing the money for themselves and so he sent a prophet to go and say, hey, the vineyard owner notices you're stealing all the grapes and they kill him. So he sends another guy and they kill him. Then they send another guy and they kill him. And then he says, you know what? If if they're not going to listen to any of these messengers, I'll send my son. My own son will go and explain to them that they're acting inappropriately. And so he sends the son and the people say, if we kill this guy, the vineyard's ours. We kill him too. From his vantage point in the heavens, the father says, no matter what I try to do to save you, you end up turning on my will. You end up turning on my people. You turn on my prophets. You hate everything. And John the Baptist is suffering, and now you're looking for a reason to blame him. John the Baptist is suffering. You're looking for a reason to say Jesus isn't the Messiah. If Jesus isn't meeting your expectations, the problem is not Jesus. It might not be you. There's a big chance it's your expectations. And we want God to do what we want him to do. (laughs) We play the flute and say, God, dance for us, right? We play the sad song, God, why aren't you sad? We play the money flute and say, God, where's my money, right? Just give me what I want, God. Why aren't you doing this, God? Shouldn't you give me this job? Why don't you get me out of this job? Why aren't you healing that person? How can we don't make that person sick, God? Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? So that's what this generation is like. All they want to do is sit there and play armchair God, and that's not how the world works. Jesus says, if you think about your own opinion, you're going to think that I'm here to just make you happy and well-fed and rich. But if you look at the Bible, I'm telling you, if you follow me, people are going to hate you and you're probably going to die. 
If you're struggling with unmet expectations, the most important thing is to realize that you need to get your expectations from here. And sometimes we don't want to do that because the Bible gives us expectations of life that it's going to be hard and we don't want to hear that. But honestly, it's better to get the truth from the scripture when it's hard than to make up a lie and be disappointed and blame God or blame yourself. This is a hard world we live in. I was talking to Junior High Pastor James this morning. He said, for some of us, for us believers, this world is, is like hell. It's the closest to hell we will ever get. And for those who don't know Christ, this world is the closest to heaven they'll ever get. There's something wrong in this world. Sin is taking down this world in every corner. And if you follow Christ, what happened to him will likely happen to you. People might like you for a while. And they're going to hate you. They're going to kill you. He says, so if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and walk down the path towards me. This morning, I would love it if you jump over real quick to 1 Peter so we can see how this all comes together when Peter is talking to the early church about suffering and struggling in the walk with Christ. This is 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Peter writes to a Jewish believers who've been scattered throughout Asia Minor, who have been driven from Israel and now they're living all over the place and trying to cluster together and keep their faith and everyone hates them and they're suffering and they're struggling and they feel like they're the only ones. And, and this is what Peter says to those who are struggling in this fiery ordeal that they experience. 1 Peter 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, this is for Larry talked about jerks a couple weeks ago. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of a criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. You've been adopted into the family. You have been grafted into the Godhead in a sense. You are part of God's people, his holy people. And Jesus warns us and encourages us, if you're going to follow me, You're going to walk the path behind me, which means that you will be in heaven, in the kingdom, but you have to go through suffering and trial and death before you experience life. Right? When we're baptized, we don't just come out and say, hey, I'm a Christian now, right? We say, hey, I'm a Christian now, and then we drown you, and then we pull you out of the water, right? We say, that's what Christianity is, that you are baptized with Christ into his death and into his life. 
And so these folks in the scripture, the people who are standing around Jesus, the apostles, Peter who wrote this, were folks who followed Jesus, suffered, struggled, were murdered, and then opened their eyes and experienced the glory of the kingdom of God in its fullness. There's light on the other side of darkness. But in this world, there's trouble. And Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're following Jesus and you're in a place of darkness, be encouraged that you are in the same type of darkness that he experienced for you, and he is with you in the darkness. And someday there'll be light. And some of you need to connect with one of these ministries because you are in a particular area of darkness where you need comfort and hope and prayer and community with people who are also walking through grief or divorce or whatever the issue is that this care ministry addresses. You need that. Others of you are in a place of suffering, and your only issue is you feel like you're not supposed to suffer because you're a Christian. And if that's you, you need to repent of that and ask God to forgive you for having the wrong expectation of what the life following him would look like and then embrace the fact that Christianity comes with suffering and learn, start learning what Peter talks about and Paul talks about, about rejoicing in suffering because you bear the name of Christ in your suffering. Rejoicing in suffering because in suffering you are given strength. Rejoicing in suffering because somehow in suffering you participate in the suffering of Christ. Rejoice in suffering because in a mysterious way Christ will return when the sufferings of Christ are fulfilled in all of us. Rejoice in suffering because suffering is a sign that glory is next. Rejoice in suffering because the empty tomb comes after the cross. And you're baptized into the one who suffered and rose in glory. Let's pray and let's ask God to give us that difficult type of attitude.